0: hope you have had a great morning. I want to wish you a happy Reformation Day. Uh, listen, I've said this before. I think it's worth saying again that Reformation Day is not our attempt as Christians to kind of rework Halloween. So I want to be very clear about this. It's not that we see, hey, people are dressed up like vampires, goblins. What can we do? Right? No. No. This day is a special day because it's a day that we get to celebrate, look back, and celebrate a moment that really did change everything. We look back on this day and we celebrate the day when a bold and brash young uh, Catholic monk nailed his 95 theses to the door in Wittenberg, Germany. It was like a tweet that went viral. And that moment just changed everything. It signified a change. Now, there were people who had come before him. There were certainly people who were going to come after him. But that moment, we credit, we look back on as a moment that just changed. And there was, um, we talked about this several weeks ago, but as Christians, our faith has roots. It is deeply rooted in a story that is rich, a story that comes to us in the pages of the Old and New Testament. And as we look back in the in church history, our story is rich. This morning, we celebrate that story. We celebrate our story. I could say a lot more, but I have a text that I want us to look at instead of just making this a Reformation Day uh, seminar or something like that. Um, so instead of spending any more time you know, going through the details of, of this, I want to recommend something to you. I have recommended this book before. I have written a review on this book before. I cannot say enough good things about this book. It's called The Unquenchable Fire uh, by Michael Reeves. and um, This little book is one of the best books I've ever read on Reformation history. And you might hear this and think, Pastor, I don't like history, I don't like reading, I don't like reading history. Then this book is for you. It is written like a novel, a story that you can kind of immerse yourselves in. I could not put it down. I believe that this book would serve you well and I believe in it enough that I bought several copies. And uh, on the table back there, there is copies. Listen, I don't want to take any of these home I bought them for you. So if you are wanting to know more about your story, please don't make me take this home. Grab it, grab it. Um, Our story is rich, and um, we're not going to dig into all of that. But I do want to bring out one of the foundations of the Protestant Reformation, because this foundation is going to kind of on-ramp us into our text this morning. the Protestant Reformation is often summed up into what's called the solas. The, uh, the solas. So sola is a Latin word. It just means alone or only. It's where we get our word um, solo, right? So it, five solo, solas. And I want to walk through these because it's going to lead us into our verse. So here they are. Number one, actually, I'm going to come back to. We're going to go to this next one. Sola fide. That means faith. You guessed it, alone, meaning we are saved through faith alone. The righteous, Paul says, will live by faith, not faith and, but faith alone, sola sola fide. The third one is uh, sola gratia, grace alone, same thing, grace alone, that we are saved by grace, the grace of God. We didn't come to this table saying, I'm awesome and I've done a lot of good things. So God, no, we come to to God knowing that it is by his love that he chose us and chose to shower his grace on us by grace alone. Not grace and, grace alone. Number four, solus Christus, Christ alone. Christ alone, this means Jesus is not a way, a truth, and a life, and a path that you might choose on your way to a good life. This reminds us that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the... No one comes to the Father but by the Son. Christ alone, Christus, solus Christus. And fifth, soli Deo gloria. This is for thee or to thee glory of God alone. Uh, Meaning that all of this is about him and not us. That the world is in the, the creation is in the hands of the creator and it does not revolve around me or you. But it's for his glory and his glory alone, including your salvation. He saved you for his glory alone. Not his glory and but his glory alone. So, through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, I hope that if you've been with us, these are not new. We preach these each and every week. Each and every week. Here's my question though. Why? Why do we preach these? Why do we hold to these? Why do we cling to these? I skipped the first one. Let's come to this, sola scriptura. Scripture alone. Scripture alone, meaning this is our ultimate authority. This is our ultimate authority. Um, And and I don't want you to hear me wrong. This doesn't mean that we're anti-authority, okay? In fact, this tells us that God gave us the gift of authority, that we are under authority, that he gave us good authority so that we would flourish as human beings. We're not anti-authority. What it does mean, though, is there is no authority higher. There is no authority on level with this, that this is our great authority. That means that there's no bishop or pastor or pope or council or book or anything that is above this in authority. Scripture alone, sola scriptura. Um, And from Scripture, we see all these other doctrines emerging. We see by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, coming out of the pages of this. And here's the reason I bring that out. One of the main drives of the Protestant Reformation is to the Reformers wanted to put the word of God into the hands of the people. To put the word of God into the hands of the people in their language for them to see, for them to understand. And and for someone who has like a whole shelf full of Bibles, that blows my mind. But hear me, as we look at church history, it wasn't like that. This was revolutionary. This This was crazy. And here's another thing it was, dangerous. The minute you put the Word of God in people's hands, guess what? It can be misused, misread, misinterpreted, abused. It was dangerous to do this. It was dangerous to do this, but even with the risk. By the way, we have seen that happen in church history. But even with the risk, it was well worth it to know that the Word of God was in the hands of His people in their language without the need of another mediator to translate it for them this was at the heart of the protestant reformation is this idea of, that has been called the priesthood of all believers the priesthood of all believers meaning there is no need for a mediator other than Christ now no need Christ alone first peter 2 says you yourselves, like Living Stones Church, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's exactly what we looked at last week. We said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. How can we do that? Well, it's because, church, you have been made through the work of Jesus into a holy priesthood. That is, that is how. The Reforma- Reformation... And here's where we're going to get into our text here. The Reformation reminds us that you do not come to church in order to hear from the priest or the pastor or the bishop to be fed, filled, and to go home as normal, everyday, common people. The Reformation reminds us that our job is not to come and sit and spectate as Certain people use their gifts for the church, and others sit and spectate them as they use their gifts. The Reformation wanted to put the Word of God into the hands of people and remind us that we are the priests of God, given the Spirit of God, which is incredible. And I want to start us off with a quote. You might think that I was going to quote Martin Luther on a day like this, but I'm not. Instead, I'm going to quote a football coach named Bud Wilkinson. Uh, Some of you might not be OU fans. That's all right. He was an OU coach. Forgive him. Um, But this quote was actually addressed to the president of the United States, JFK, in an attempt to get our nation's youth to not be so lazy. That's my summary. Um, Here's the quote, though. Football is 22 people on the field who need rest and 22,000 people in the stands who need exercise. That's so, oh, that's so good. God help us, though, if this defines the church. God help us if this can be true about the church, that the masses who desperately need to exercise their gifts come and gather so they can hear from the you who are desperately in need of rest. I said, God, help us if this defines our church. The Reformation reminds us that the church is not meant to be like college game day. Where, by the way, it's well beyond 22,000 now. This dates that quote. Where the masses come to watch a small number play and perform while we <laughs> applaud, while we enjoy the show, and go home to live our lives. The Reformation reminds us this is not the church, that the Lord doesn't even have a bench. You're on the field. This text is going to remind us of this. And so the question we have to ask and answer is, do you know what that means and do you know what that looks like? And with that, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Romans 12. We're gonna be in Romans 12, verses three through eight, and I want us to walk through this together because I believe in this text, Paul gives us a better vision for his church. And when I say church, I mean the church, I mean you. You mean me, I mean us. Gives us a better vision. In verse three, he says, by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, I want to pause there. Notice the word, everyone. Notice he says, by grace, it's given to me to say to everyone, not just the professional Christians, the ones with the degrees, the one who have taken all the classes. He's not talking to the select few here. He says to say to everyone. And if you're wondering, Paul, are you talking to me? The question is, are you a follower of Jesus? If the answer is yes, then yes, yes. He's talking to you, to everyone. He says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. (laughs) It's a good reminder. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul starts with pride. He says, don't be prideful. Arrogance, pride, cockiness, they have no place in the church. Why? Because we've all been given gifts, not based on us not based on anything having to do with us, but by the gift of God. When we are given a gift, we may absolutely boast in the goodness of that gift, but it is nonsense to boast that we got the gift. It's nonsense. We get that with gifts, but so often that's what we do in our when we, the gifts of God. And so Paul starts here with humility, calling out against pride, not thinking more highly than we ought to think. And then Paul is going to drop into this illustration that we are going to spend our entire morning with. And it's an illustration he uses all throughout the New Testament. And that is that he compares you with a body. He compares us as the church to a physical body. Listen to verses four through six. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I'll pause there. I want to point out, here's what I'd like to do in our time together this morning in this text. I want to point out um, some very obvious things about the human body. And I want to see the profound and important truths that come out of this as we think about this text. We're going to go kind of verse by verse through, through these, these three verses. And I'm going to highlight just this important truth about the human body as it, as it impacts us. And again, these might be very obvious. They should be. But they are so important. The first truth is this. Let's get started. A body must have diverse members to be a healthy body. A body must have diverse members to be a healthy body. Listen, diversity is not optional when you're talking about the human body. If a body is nothing but 46 eyes and three torsos, that's creepy and terrifying and not a human body. It's... it's it's. Halloween, right? Um, It would not function. A physical body requires diversity. Legs being legs, arms being arms, eyes being eyes, ears being ears. It requires, you get the picture, it requires a diversity from its members. Can't all be the same thing. And as the members perform different functions in order to be a healthy body, church, the same is true for his church. Paul says, for as in one body, verse 4, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We are diverse in our gifts. We are diverse in our gifts, and that church is by design. I want to just have kind of an honest uh, pastor moment here for a bit. Um, In my experience as a pastor, and in my experience being on staff at churches, I have found that often when people are looking to kind of evaluate their church, is this the church for me? Or uh, when people are looking to maybe church shop, and they're just going around looking for churches to figure out which one to connect to, I I have often found that one of the major metrics that I see in people's minds is they look for churches that need them the least to determine if that church is for me. We, uh, we, we judge whether or not we should go to this church or that church based upon how many are already there with my gifts. That's the one for me. Um, let me give you a really, I could pick anything, but let me just take missions, show you how this kind of works. So uh, let's take missions. Let's say you show up and you think, oh, man, this church needs help with missions. Like, Oh, man, in my heart, man, it is for missions. So, 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 I need to find a church that has a thriving missions heart, and I need to find that church. This one's not it. I need to find a thriving missional church. What? Like, take that in. It's almost like, If you go back to the the body analogy, you're an eye and you're looking for a physical body that already has great eyesight to plug into. It's crazy. It's instead of looking for the body who needs an eye, who needs to see. This body can't see very well. This one can. I'm an eye, so I should go here. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but that so often is what we can do. And I want to be very careful, though, because I know there is a joy when we get to walk together with brothers and sisters that share our same passion. And, and, but, but here's, the, here's the, the fact of this, though. When you step in and start using your gifts in the church, it is contagious. And all of a sudden you look around and you have brothers and sisters beside you. Or another word is discipleship. So I get that. But hear me. We are diverse, and you're, you're here to be a part of that diversity. The, the strength of this church should never be my preaching, should never be our singing or our programs or our ministries. The strength of our church is you. It's you. It's us together, the priesthood of all believers, and can you just imagine church if we grabbed hold of that? That, that is the church that I want to be a part of. Now, um, I want to call out the obvious here before I move on to our next thing. Um, it's easy to look around and say, "Okay, I hear you, Pastor, but I don't preach. You don't want me to sing." I don't play an instrument and I don't want to work with kids. So that means I'm done, right? That means that you, we're done. I, I, you don't have anything for me here. Um, anyone ever felt that? None of you are being honest right now. All right. Um, listen, a couple things with that. First, um, you might be called to serve the church in ways that are just incredibly unexpected. So first thing, I want to say that. did If you were to have told me that I would be up here doing this, I would have said you are insane. I am an intensely shy kid growing up wanting to go to architecture and was perfectly happy doing that. If you were to have told me that I would be up here doing this, I would say you are insane. God likes to surprise people. He just does. He does. He likes it, he has a sense of humor, I think. Um, You might be here and you think, I don't really love kids. You don't wanna say that out loud because it feels terrible to say that out loud, but let's just say I don't really love kids and I don't know if I wanna serve in kids And, and then all of a sudden, I'm telling you, you look around and you're like, hold on though, a third of Stone Oak Bible Church is fifth grade or below. I have a heart to share the gospel, I have a heart to teach and I have a heart to disciple and a third of our church are saying, please come do that, God might surprise you. So I don't want to miss that. God might surprise you, and when he does, it's great and scary, all right? That's the first thing. The second thing, though, is here, hear me, Um, the vast majority of what Jesus calls us to be and do in here has nothing to do with stage or staff, has nothing to do with what happens on this stage or what happens as a staff member. Nothing, nothing. The vast majority of what he calls you to do is based on you using your gifts when we say you're dismissed. That's the way he has called us. You're called, I'll say it like this, you're called into ministry and I want that to sink in. You are called into ministry in your church, in your group, your home, your community, your family. You're called into ministry. You're called by Jesus to make disciples. You are called to use your gifts exhortation, hospitality, discernment, leadership, mercy. I could go down our list that we're going to see here in a bit. You're called to use those gifts here in the church as we gather. But hear me, you're called to use those gifts as we scatter. As we leave this place, you're called to use those gifts. And in fact, um, I don't know if you know this, but according to Scripture, my job description is not to do ministry solely. My job description is not to do the ministry. Like, you don't pay me to do the ministry at Stone Oak. According to Scripture, my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's my calling, is to do that. We are called to minister. Um, The fact is, is you've been equipped and given gifts that God now has called you to use for the glory of God and the good of his church. And uh, some of you might be here and um, still wondering, like, okay, I hear you, but what can I do tomorrow? What can I do today? Uh, I want to introduce you to one of our ministries. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a prayer, uh, even known that we have a prayer team here at Stone Oak. Um, but listen, every Tuesday, this team gathers, either in person or over Zoom for prayer. I can say without question, our church would not be here today the way we are, we are here doing this kind of ministry without them holding us up in prayer. Every Sunday morning, they gather at nine for prayer prayer our gatherings would not be the same. In fact, I am convinced that if anyone thinks that I am an effective preacher, it's because I am prayed for. If you you don't know what to do um, or where to serve, I just want to encourage you, start with the most foundational important thing that our church does and pray with us. Um, I'll get real practical here. This upcoming Tuesday, I want to invite you to come to my living room and join us as a prayer team. We gather the first Tuesday of the month, and, and I would love to invite you to come and just pray with me. Pray together. And, and some of you come from weird ideas of what prayer gatherings are, and they haven't been pleasant. I just encourage you. Try, I, it won't be weird Okay, that's the biggest hurdle. It um, won't be weird. We're, we're coming and we're gonna pray together and I wanna invite you to either join us in person or if you, if you wanna join virtually over Zoom. Um, but here's what I want you to do. Just, if you're wanting to come, to text prayer to this number and what we'll do is we'll send you a link where you can register and then all of the details and links and addresses Uh, will be sent to you. But I want to encourage you to get involved, because here's the truth. We have different gifts. We are diverse and called as diverse people into a unified community in the body of, of Christ. God has placed you here. God has placed you here at Stone Oak Bible Church. Do you know how God has gifted you? Do you know how to use that gift for his glory? Did you know that our church would not be the same without you? The body must have diverse members in order to be a healthy body. Second, I'm moving on. Verse 5. Pulling from verse 5. Body parts belong to each other. This sounds... Again, like a no-brainer, obvious in the human body, but like a finger is not its own thing. So if this finger gets hurt, the whole body suffers because this finger gets hurt. It is all belonging together to the whole. The same is true for the church. Verse 5, he says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. One body Belonging together. Belonging together. I want to revisit our body illustration here. Um, You know what you would call a body with one nose and no eyes, no ears? You'd call that body a vulnerable body, and it's a handicap. You might be able to smell. but Can you see? Can you hear? Here's why I bring this up. You are not the end-all, be-all of spiritual gifts. God has not and will not give you all the gifts for you to just rock out on your own, be self-sufficient all by your lonesome. You will never have all of the gifts, and you are not designed to be a one-man show. Ever. No matter how spiritual you get. Another way to say this is is this. You need them, and they need you. As foundational as we can get. You need them, and they need you. When we forget this, it's so easy to turn inward and think, like, what's in it for me, or how can I, you know, I don't need anyone, that rugged individualism that we kind of have sometimes. But Paul reminds us here through this body imagery that he gives us is that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone for the glory of god alone and you need them and they need you you're not your own you belong one to another so paul is driving us to consider spiritual gifts here's my question um do you know your spiritual gift or gifts you don't have to answer out loud do you know the end of verse six, Paul's going to name a few of them. Uh, In fact, he says, if prophecy in proportion to your, to our faith and service, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul lists a few things, Um, but I want you to hear two things with this. One is this is not an extensive list of the spiritual gifts. Uh, The spiritual gifts Paul deals with in three main passages in the New Testament our text, and then two in 1 Corinthians. And in each of these times, in Romans 12, 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, and 1 Corinthians 12, 28, he lists out different lists. How dare him! In uh, Romans, we see prophecy. We see serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, and mercy. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, I'm flying, but trust me, i got to go somewhere here. You have the word of wisdom and knowledge and faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. A little bit later in that chapter, verse 28, you, have, you see healing and helps and administration and diversity of tongues You notice though, none of these lists are the same because they are not exhaustive and they weren't meant to be. God's word does not give us, uh, here is an exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts, here's how you practice them, and here's their limitations. He doesn't give us this, but the word of God is very clear on what Paul is driving us to see, and it's this God has gifted his church with gifts to be used in his church. That's what's clear. Paul's not in, intending to give us an exhaustive list. And but the, the second thing I want us to see here before we move is that Paul is driving toward motive. That's why he starts out with pride right at the beginning. But he's calling us to worship through our gifts, that they are for them, not us. If you have these gifts, he, he, use them for the glory of God, not for your glory, and use them for the good of the church and not your good. Which again begs the question, do you know your gifts? Um, There is a spiritual gift assessment. There's many. Has anyone taken a spiritual gift assessment? Okay, handfuls of us have taken one of these. If you haven't, all it is is a short questionnaire that's meant to kind of show you, point you into how God might have gifted you for the church. Now, can these tests be helpful? Absolutely, they can be be helpful. Um, Are these tests authoritative and like, you know, no. Do these tests have shortcomings? Yes, they absolutely do. But here's the deal. Of all the assessments, I have found one that I want to present to you, give to you, that I believe is the single most effective spiritual gift assessment that I've ever seen. So if you, if you want to, you know, have a spiritual gift assessment, I think this is, this is it right here. This is not a mistake. This is actually our community group last Sunday meeting in our home. Why did I, why did I show this? Why, why, why would I show this? More important than any questionnaire. When you're trying to figure out, God, how have you wired me? How have you gifted me? if you were to come to me and say, Pastor, I want to know my gifts. How can you, can you tell me what my gifts are? My first question is not, what does your spiritual gift assessment say? My first question is always going to be, what does your community say? What does your church community say about you? My first question is not, have you taken a spiritual gift assessment? My first question is, are you involved and embedded in the family of God? Do you know and are you being known in the family of God? Why would I say that? Because these spiritual gifts are communal. They're not given for you to sit and enjoy and love having the gift. They're to you, for, given to you to be spilled out for others for the glory of God. Are you in community? Are you known? The invitation of the gospel is not just to save you from our sin, it's to place you into a family. Are you known in community? And let me call one call out one other thing. When we talk about spiritual gifts, the most common thing I hear is, Pastor, they're so abused. And I want to just call one One question out that will help us figure out if we're seeing maybe a spiritual gift that's being abused the most just direct question if you want to understand is this spiritual gift being misunderstood misapplied misinterpreted the best question i think to ask and to answer beyond do we see it in scripture is who is it benefiting Is benefiting from the gift being used. If the answer is the individual using the gift, that they're receiving all the benefit, I can say with great clarity, church, it's being misused. Because the gifts were not given to make us look good, they were given to be poured out for the glory of God and for the good of others. They are, the spiritual gifts are both identified and they flourish. In the context of community, are you in community? Do you know your spiritual gifts should really only come after the question, are you in community in your church family? I gotta move. Here we go. So, first, from verse four, the body must have diverse members in order to be a healthy body. Second, the body parts, we belong together to each other. And third, this one's a long one. I'll walk us through it. When body parts aren't used, it does two things. It hurts the body as a whole and it leads to atrophy for the individual parts. Paul says in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I think a lot of times it's a lot easier to sit and talk about gifts, sit and think about gifts, sit and hoard gifts than it is to use the gifts. He says, let us use, use them. So I want to go back to Paul's body analogy here. Um, if we're a body, and, and here, I want you to pretend that God has given you to Stone Oak Bible Church to be an arm. Okay? You're our arm. In a physical body, do you know what happens when you don't use an arm? Well, it does two things. It hurts the body as a whole because the body doesn't function as it was designed to function. But the second thing is it hurts that arm specifically. It withers away. It, 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 it withers. Church, in so many ways, this is my fear for the American church that far too many are watching far too few use their gifts. That far too many are watching far too few. Going back to uh, Wilkinson's quote here, football is 22 people on the field who desperately need rest while players on the field, or vice versa, the people in the stands desperately need exercise. What this is is far too many watching far too few Using their spiritual gifts. And like a body, we have churches that are hurting. Because the body's not functioning the way it was designed to function. The arm's not working. The ears aren't working, right? But at the same time, I want you to hear me here. Not only are churches as a whole hurting, but Christians are hurting. Because they are not being used. They're withering away because their gifts are not being used They're withering away from non-use. And what Paul is doing here in this text is casting a bigger vision for the church, that we are a body of diverse members. That makes us healthy. That we are a body, and all of our parts belong to each other, and and when our parts aren't being used, it hurts us as a whole, and it hurts us individually as, as we don't function the way God's created us to function. I want to make this specific to us. Church, at Stone Oak Bible Church, we are a diverse group of gifts and members. That's what makes us healthy. At Stone Oak Bible Church, all of us, all of our gifts belong together. And when we are not being used, it hurts us as a whole, as the church body, and it hurts you as it leads to atrophy. Paul is casting a better vision for the church. And I want to finish with this this morning. Um, there is a common rule in business called the 80-20 principle. Um, it has a ton of different applications. But as a whole in business, it's the principle that 80% of sales or business or or, or whatnot comes from 20% of the clientele. 80 80-20. According to the stats, um, the church, much has been written about this, by the way, but in the church, the 80-20 principle rings true. And what I mean by this is, as a whole, as the surveys look at congregations across the nation, it appears that 80% of ministry is done by 20% of the, of the people. 80% is done by the 20 that means in serving, and giving, in community, in involvement, beyond just spectating, 80% comes from 20. I got to tell you, church, Paul is speaking directly to this. Just as the reformers desired to put the word of God back into the hands of people, this morning, I, the, Paul, what he's doing is he's putting the ministry back into the hands of the people, He's putting the ministry back into the hands of people. And this is Paul's vision for his church. For our church. That we would be spilled out for others for the glory of our God alone.